today on Gospel Unscripted. Like he's mm-hmm. he's the Twitter trend of the day. Yeah. Although maybe not Twitter because Twitter's kind of open. It'd be more like Snapchat, right? So everybody's snapping about him because yeah. those disappear. <laughs> you know. I'm Jenny and I'm Amy and we want to welcome you to Gospel Unscripted. So today we are here to encourage you with God's word, to pray with you, and most importantly, to read through the gospel with you. Yep. We're going to make connections and observations and ask questions all in an unscripted manner. So we just want to invite you to pursue the heart of Jesus with us and learn about God's plan to give us all a future and a hope. So let's get started. Let's get started. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for this good day. And just thank you for all the miraculous ways that that you make it possible, Lord, for us to dig into your word and to reach out to other believers, Lord. And we just pray over our discussion today that, that you would give us your heart and discernment and understanding, Lord, of just how great and big and awesome you are and of your wonderful plan for, for those who believe in you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, hey, everybody. Um, I want to introduce my friend, Megan. Um, Megan is our third guest that we've had on the podcast. Her name is Megan Galband, and she goes to church with me at Lee Summit Community Church. So Megan, do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, I don't know what to say, except uh, my husband and I have three boys. They're nine, almost six and four. And I homeschool. Um, I was a teacher for like in public school for 13 years. We just moved to Lee Summit two summers ago. I like to be creative. I love reading. Where did you live before you moved to Lee Summit? We moved from Excelsior Springs, which is up north by Liberty. And we decided like a week before things started closing down with the pandemic (laughs) that we needed to move. (laughs) Oh my goodness. (laughs) That's crazy. Um, It was just my, we just needed to be closer to my husband's work. Um, Definitely a God thing, not a move I would have made on my own, but I feel like you know, two years in, I know we did the right thing. So yeah, so that's, that's, that's cool. all right. Cool. So we have been prepping and reading and praying on John chapter seven. You know, it seems like John kind of goes back and forth between like the, the narrative pieces, which are just like the story, right? And then these yeah. deep, so deep, you can't find the bottom theological parts, right? Yeah. So I feel like kind of at yeah. the beginning here, We've got a little more narrative kind of talking about what has been going on. So um, let's go ahead and read one Maybe through. Maybe just even one through nine. And we yeah, can talk about yeah. what the Feast of Booths is and stuff like that. Megan, um, do you want to read that out loud for us? Sure. And I'm reading from the NIV. After this, Jesus went around in Galilee, purposefully staying away from Judea because the Jews there were waiting to take his life. But when the Jewish feast of tabernacles was near, Jesus' brothers said to him, you want to leave here and go to Judea so your disciples may see the miracles you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you were doing these things, show yourself to the world. For even his own brothers did not believe in him. Therefore, Jesus told them, the right time for me has not yet come. For you, any time is right. 
the world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify that what it does is evil. You go to the feast. I'm not yet going up to this feast because for me, the right time has not yet come. Having said this, he stayed in Galilee. Okay. What is this feast of booths? Some people also call it the feast of tabernacles. Mm-hmm. I think I read it was like September, October-ish. And some of my studying, they said in the later time of the year, in the fall. Yeah. And they would set up little tabernacles and stay in the tabernacles in, in these little booths. And it wow. would be in Jerusalem. And it's just like a big festival. What what I think of is a campground filled with yeah, people that's... having a fall festival. <laughs> that's what yeah. I what I imagine. <laughs> okay. So I talked with my dad and Amy, I don't know if um, Jenny told you this or not, but my dad, um, he has been a professor and a pastor for like the last 40 years. And um, he has his PhD in New Testament. And I thought, oh, he's a good person to talk to. Um, and he's he one of his favorite classes he said to teach was like Jewish backgrounds. Um, and yeah, there's like a lot that I didn't know about all this. And he I can't said, wait to hear it all. He said, yeah, <laughs> what you said so far, but there's so I'm much. Grabbing my tea. Okay, go grab your tea. He said um, that yes, it was in the fall of the year. That honestly, um, he said I was surprised by this, but he said it was the biggest feast. Um, he said even bigger than Passover or Pentecost that it was the biggest feast in the Jewish calendar. And that if, you know, you were a Jewish male, you were expected to go to Jerusalem for that feast at least once during your life, if you could. Um, And he said it was kind of a lot like Thanksgiving because their harvest would be in. So it was, um, so it was kind of like Thanksgiving, but then also commemorating the Israelites in the desert and God providing for them. And so there's a lot about water Actually, he said, like, in the book of John, there is so much with the book of water and that the Feast of Tabernacles, it like, kind of centers around that, around water, because you need water for your crops and they needed water in the desert. Um, and that kind of ties in with some other things later. But that was a lot of stuff that I did not know wow. um, about that feast and just like the significance of some of that. And that I was really surprised that he said it was a lot bigger than Passover. Cause in my mind, that was the biggest one. Mm-hmm. My husband, he likes to go to this camping festival every su- summer and not in the fall, but with his friends and they call it society of society for creative anachronism. They set up tents they're not allowed to use like modern day nylon tents they set up tents just like that (laughs) like they use like wooden poles like canvas older type materials anyway but that's what I think of because Mm -hmm. it's it's also eight days it's Saturday to the next Saturday that is cool isn't that so funny Mm. but of course it's um it's not a feast dedicated to the Lord, which I, I, I think like <laughs> as a child, every summer, my parents would take us camping. We would go to Colorado Springs and we would go camping with our church group. And it was the highlight of my life. Every summer I looked forward to going camping and it was all focused on God. And I just think like, like we, we have this longing to go camping, hanging out with our fellow believers. 
for a week. Do, do yeah. you guys resonate with that? Yeah. I, I want to hang out with other believers. I don't necessarily want to camp <laughs> myself. <laughs> if it's in Colorado Oops. where it's nice and cool, I am down with that. Yeah. But definitely not here right now. Not in the yeah, 100 I'm thinking. Weather. I'm on the way to a family reunion this weekend and I'm thinking bug spray, suntan lotion, because it's all yeah. in the woods, you know? Yeah. And I'm thinking I haven't, I haven't fought the mosquito war yet this summer, but it's happening in three yeah. days. Yeah. Well, there's so much preparation with camping too. Like it just makes me think about, you know, all the preparation that it's a lot of work to camp. So, you know, it's not for the faint hearted, you know, that it was not something that was expected. You go to Jerusalem every year, but at least once in your life. And, you know, chapter seven, it starts off with a bang. It says after this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Like this is a fact of, of his life and the life of the people that are traveling with him, that it's not just he's a thorn in their side anymore. You know, yeah. Jesus is definitely public enemy number one to the leaders of the Jewish people. And how he says, my time has not yet come. You know, that he's very aware of that. It's confusing, I think, at first when you read it and you think, well, he said he wasn't going to go. And then he did. But he did it in the way that he knew was right. Right. I'm in like more in secret and not yeah. make a deal about it. Because I asked my dad, I said, you know, his brothers are encouraging him to go, but they didn't even really believe in who he was, right? And my dad said, yeah, that's right. So they were almost kind of egging him on. Mm -hmm. I feel, yeah. But maybe that's, from what I read and studied, that seems to be about right, you know, because right. they're like doing, being obscure and not drawing people to yourself. But Jesus knew that wasn't the right thing. Yeah. So. Yeah. Egging him. I resonate to that egging him on and yeah. how they're saying, you know, no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. Yeah. Like, yeah. why are you doing all these things if you don't want people to know about it? And Jerusalem, Jerusalem to Jesus or to someone of that era would be like, if you were a musician going to Nashville, you know, right. if you're a teacher, if you're a teacher of the, in the Jewish faith, you go to Jerusalem. If you're a musician and you want to make it big, go to Nashville. And if you want to be a, a musician making it big, you, you don't, you have to perform. You have to get your music yeah. out there. You have mm -hmm. to be noticed. Yeah. And Jesus is not getting on that struggle bus. That is really good. And you're right. His time has not yet come, but your time is always here. Now, let's, let's yeah. unpack that a minute. Yeah. Well, I know he says that several times. Okay. So here is, I think this is what I was looking for. And I asked my dad about this also. It says, and my study Bible notes on verse six, that his reply where he says, um, you know, time hasn't come for you. Any time is right. That that reply is similar to what he said to his mom, Mary at Cana. When she asked him, please do this miracle, please turn this water into wine, take care of this, please. And, you know, remember, that's what he said to her first. Um, you know, my time hasn't yet come, but um, she trusts him to do what is right. And so I just thought that was interesting that, like, in my study Bible, they said that his reply was similar to what he said then. Okay. Well, I was thinking, so he doesn't go to Jerusalem right, right. away. He stays in Galilee. But when he does finally go, the Jewish leaders don't even know he's there until he's already speaking. I thought to myself, oh, that must have been intentional because if the Jewish leaders were waiting for his entrance in, then they would have caught him before he started speaking. But instead he snuck in 
during the festival. He's speaking and he's teaching before they can catch him. But I'm noticing in verse 14, it says not until halfway through the feast did Jesus go up to the temple court. And I had not noticed that until just now. Okay. Like I'm assuming that means that he didn't even go to Jerusalem at all until then. And probably if he were coming, the Jewish leaders probably would have been expecting him to come at the beginning, not halfway through. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, I think they were, I think that was the expectation. Like if you're going to go, you're going to be there when it starts this little, um, people's Bible commentary that I've been sort of looking at, it reiterates everything you all just said. And it references Galatians 4, 4. Okay. About the timing, you know, that that even a matter of days makes a big deal Mm -hmm. in God's timing, which to his brothers maybe wasn't as big a deal. Days or even hours, you know, it seems like. Galatians 4, 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. It's that fullness of time situation, Mm -hmm. you know. Verse seven says, the world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it, that its works are evil. Jesus is testifying that the works of the world are evil. And no, you know, nobody wants to be told that they're in the wrong yeah he is he spent he spent the entirety of the last part of of like i know definitely john five but again in john six establishing his authority talking about god's seal on him and revealing who he is to people i think the word that i heard as i was kind of doing this is that the people were indicted which is another legal term that They were convicted of their, their sin and their distance from God as Jesus is saying, I am right here and I fulfill this law of Moses and Mm -hmm. you hate me. I do these works. You hate me, (laughs) but my time isn't, is not here. I'm not going up to this feast where my time is not fully come. I'm getting all these, uh, happy birthday texts right now. And they're coming through my computer. It's today your birthday. It's my birthday. It is her birthday. Amy was like, the only day I have open is your birthday. You know, I couldn't think of anything that I'd rather do than this. (laughs) So, (laughs) Who wants to read? Do you want me to read, Amy? Sure, go ahead. And this is ESV. John 7, 10 through 24. But after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up, not publicly, but in private. The Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, where is he? And there was much muttering about him among the people. While some said, he is a good man. Others said, no, he's leading the people astray. Yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled saying, how is it? that this man has a learning when he has never studied. So Jesus answered them, my teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him 
is true. And in him, there is no falsehood. Has not Moses given you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? The crowd answered, you have a demon. Who is seeking to kill you? Jesus answered them, I did one work and you all marvel at it. Moses gave you circumcision, not that it is from Moses, but from the fathers. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath, a man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be broken. Are you angry with me? Because on the Sabbath, I made a man's whole body. Well, do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. So I was just thinking about this relationship of Jesus to his brothers, because now I do not have an older brother. He would have been the older brother of all of these other brothers who are there. You know, in context of that, I'm thinking, all right, what would a family meeting like that look like in my family? And, yeah. you know, I yeah, mean, yeah, that's, that's a good interesting. point. And, right. and it's all of them kind of ganging up on him. I mean, he yeah. holds his ground, right. obviously, because, you know, he's God, he's got it all under control, but, but, you know, they're giving him a hard time. I mean, this is not, this little commentary is saying they were cajoling him, you know, kind of like pushing, they're pushing his buttons if he had buttons to push, you know, Mm -hmm, but so it's, it's not, I, that is, it's just antagonism where I'm sorry that he's experiencing it, you know? So he goes up to the feast in private and the Jews are looking for him. And I think it's interesting that nobody, no one was speaking openly about him. Yeah. They're whispering. I mean, muttering. Yeah. Well, and it says for fear of the Jews. And I looked that up and I believe that reference, because everyone there would have basically been a Jew. So I believe that reference means like the religious leaders. The leaders. Yeah. Because anyone associated with G, I mean, they were looking to kill Jesus. So anybody associated with Jesus would have been in trouble. And I, I read another note too, that said, you know, just the general people would not have known about the plot, which makes sense when they say, who's trying to kill you? You know, they are very surprised by that. I mean, yeah, they're like wondering about him and, you know, some people are team Jesus and some aren't, but I don't, they're not to that extreme. And I think the Pharisees, you know, definitely are aware of this plot, but just the regular Jews are not. It's kind of a buzz. They're buzzing, which makes me think, it's trending. Like he's, mm-hmm. he's the Twitter trend of the day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That totally makes Although sense. maybe not Twitter. Cause Twitter's kind of open. It'd be more like Snapchat, right? So everybody's snapping about him because yeah. those disappear, <laughs> you know? Funny. So verse 15, gonna, um, the Jews are marveling. How is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? That reminded me of Luke chapter two, when he's 12 years old at Mm -hmm. the festival with his family. And here he is as a 12 year old little kid conversing with the rabbis and they're asking him all kinds of questions. He's asking them questions and they're marveling at what he has to say. And yeah, it is. And then I love that he is clear about where he gets his teaching from. Yeah. Um, It's not his own. Yeah. My teaching is not mine. One of the sermons I listened to mentioned that it was common practice for 
one rabbi to kind of reference another rabbi's teaching to kind of give oh. themselves a little credence, you know? Right. But Jesus, of course, not this, this commentary says that they were amazed because Jesus spoke like a man of letters, you know, someone who's yeah. been to all these has is very degreed, like your father, who's yeah. very yeah. degreed, right? Um, yeah. but has no formal training. I I love that he says that my teaching is not my own, it comes from him who sent me. He doesn't yeah. require glory from other men, right. you know, his yeah. teaching, his authority all comes from God. Yeah. Yeah. Really wouldn't wouldn't that be kind of spooky? Like if we were just hanging out with someone and that person just kept saying, you know, it's from him who sent me, my teaching is not my own. It's quite Set, the claim. It would, it would quite, quite the claim. claim. Yeah. And it yeah. sets that person apart. Like, I think we have the advantage of being on this side of the cross and we're able to, I think that a lot of times when I run across someone who wasn't believing yet, and I think, what is the problem? And then I think, you know, if I were in that position, I'm sure I probably would have thought those same things. Mm. One more, I'm sorry to go back to verse 13, but I found one more little note that I had done in my study. Um, and I think it was a part of our conversation about, you know, it was for fear of the Jews. Um, that excommunication from the synagogue was a real oh. threat for disagreeing with the leaders. And that right. would have been a really big deal if you were a good Jewish male, especially. Um, oh. So I just thought I would throw that in there. Um, so yeah, I mean, there was kind of some fear of man, but also, you know, want to be able to go to the synagogue. So, well, um, also it kind of feels like the mob, you know, either it's, it's like this, the pressure to a negative pressure to keep people mm -hmm. from, mm -hmm. but We're whenever I hear the word control. mob, yeah, well, I think like when you have to buy protection almost like you buy the, your silence I don't know I've watched too many stupid movies this is the truth but anytime you hear the word mob and I don't think it's actually here written in the text but I always think it's a it, we're where it's whipping up you know into yeah. in the next six months or so if I'm reading that right in different places this crowd this mob this this trending situation you've got going on. I mean, it's going to get ugly here. We're seeing even more than what we have before because the crowds before haven't, it's been the Jewish leaders that I think are pointing fingers at Jesus. Like, who are you? Who are you? Who are you? Yeah. And here it kind of has gone into what the crowd is saying. Some say he's mm -hmm. a good man. Nope. He's leading the people astray. You know, they're having all these arguments about it and it's not all positive even from the crowd itself. Mm -hmm. And, and yeah. we find out later, of course, like when he enters into Jerusalem, that that mob loves him. And then in, you know, in a week or how many days after the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, the mob turns. I mean, yeah. oh, we are so fickle in our hearts. He was very clear about where his authority and his teaching came from. And it just made me think about, you know, anyone that we listen to as a Bible teacher should be, and ourselves included, should be someone that, you know, we agree with the Bible we, um, and that we're pointing to God and not ourselves looking at things through that lens, uh, can be really easy not to sometimes. Yeah. Amen to that. The things that sound good, yeah. but are not necessarily biblical or verse 18 camps on that. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, mm -hmm. but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true. And in him, there is no falsehood. <laughs> we want to 
listen to teachers who are in it speaking to please the Lord. And also on verse 19, I think Jesus is sticking it to him where it hurts again. Like has uh-huh. not Moses, because uh-huh. they're always harping on Moses, right? Yep. Has not Moses given you the law, yet none of you keeps the law. Here's the indictment yeah. again. Yeah. Why do you seek to kill me? Which of course yeah. is against one of your top 10 laws, you know, do not murder. Wow. <laughs> so quite the accusation, you know, because um, that of keeping the law is very important. To them. And the crowd says, you have a demon. Yeah. Yeah. Like who's trying to kill you? You're crazy. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I was wondering, I, I think that I found an answer to this, but I'm wondering what you ladies found, uh, starting in verse 21, where he says, I did one miracle and you're all astonished. So it was the miracle he's talking about, um, healing the man at the pool, because at the end of that little section, it's talking about healing the whole man on the Sabbath. He made a man's whole body. Well, so the man at the pool, though, remember he withdrew and then the Jewish leaders knew about that one. His bigger, more public miracle would probably be the feeding of the 5,000. That's and true. That would have just happened. The previous chapter. So yeah. those people would have also been at this feast because it, it, the miracles went from private to a little less private to a little more public mm-hmm. to public. Like after that feeding of the 5,000, I mean, you've got to imagine his reputation went crazy. The reason I thought about the about the man at the pool was because they're in Jerusalem and the healing at the pool happened in Jerusalem, but the feeding yep. of the 5,000 is in Galilee, right? You know, they're remembering back to the Passover that could have been that same year. Like in verse 24 or 23 and 24 is where then he launches into the connection with the Sabbath. Right. Um, and, I've, and I read about that and, you know, they're very big into the Sabbath rules, but circumcision was an exception. If the eighth day after birth landed on a Sabbath, it was okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that was the point he was making. That's why I automatically thought of the man at the pool, but I think you're right, Amy, that it could definitely be the other one too, but that Jesus was showing mercy and they were upset about that. Well, and I, he's almost saying uh, they're hypocrites again. You know, you're, yeah. you're, you yeah. are digging on me because of what I do on the Sabbath with God's authority, right. you know, as authority, as God, right. And still it says, do not judge by appearances but judge with right judgment, mm-hmm. you know, because yeah. they are making judgments on Jesus based yeah. on their own interpretation <laughs> of the law that Jesus gave them as, I mean, because God gave those laws, you know, to honor yeah. the Sabbath and keep it holy. Yeah. And in doing that, they have, you know, put so many restrictions on there that of course you can make an argument for that the Lord never intended for those certain things to happen Mm because you're right he jesus did show mercy he showed god's heart i desire mercy not sacrifice you know yeah matthew 9 13 i'm looking it up i do he was calling the prophet hosea it says hosea 6 6 oh hosea 6 6 then maybe hosea is quoting someone (laughs) (laughs) that's funny there's a lot of cross quoting here there's a lot yes yeah when he does heal the man on the sabbath at the pool i remember talking amy about telling you like the the greek 
for the healing was also making a man's whole body well, not just physically healing. It's just so awesome how it's not just physical healing, but it's healing the whole person. And we are all in need of whole healing. And that's what Jesus is all about. So Well, it's uh, mid-September and I'm finally getting around to editing our episodes that we took with our friend Megan for John 7 at the beginning of August. So stay tuned next week and the week after, Megan's going to also be joining us. So um, I just want to pray us out. Lord, thank um, thank you for your healing, for healing not only our bodies, but our mind and our spirit. God, we want to be whole in you and receive your will and your way for our lives. Lord, make our desires your desires because we know that you have what's best for us, Lord. Amen. Bye, guys.